Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello and welcome to the Pocket Link Podcast. I'm Rick Henderson and I'm hosting this special edition version of the podcast as all this week PocketLink.com has been celebrating PC Gaming Week in association with NVIDIA GeForce RTX. The podcast will therefore focus primarily on PC gaming, including the technology and games themselves. And to that end, I'll be joined by contributing editors Adrian Willins and Luke Baker, both Pocket Linters who have a deep love and understanding of the subject. We'll find out their thoughts on the current state of PC gaming, a few tips on what to consider if you're starting out with a gaming rig, and later some of their favourite PC games. I'll also be speaking with Seth Schneider, GeForce product manager at NVIDIA and esports competitor to find out why higher frame rates and DLSS are revolutionising competitive gaming. But first, back to Adrian and Luke. Adrian, let's start with you. Tell us a bit more about Pocket Lint's PC Gaming Week and why PC gaming itself is on the rise of late. Well, this week we've been writing a lot of different stories about PC gaming in all sorts of ways. And I think over the last couple of years, probably starting when everyone was in lockdown, we've noticed a rise in the number of people that are interested in PC gaming and in building their own machines as well. So we've been looking at a lot of things around, tips around building your own machine and how to get the most out of it and what you should upgrade and things to think about before you do all that. I think people were stuck at home and realised that perhaps their laptop or desktop machine that they were using wasn't quite up to scratch for work purposes and then perhaps thought about upgrading to get into a bit of gaming and you know have some escapism after they've finished a working day. I know I need to do that so and um, we've just been writing a lot of different things about that and all the different considerations that come with it and all the things along that line and a lot of the big brands have also got into a lot of streaming gear so we've seen a rise in things and peripherals from Corsair and Razer and other companies like that delivering a lot more in terms of cameras and lights and things around streaming because a lot more people are getting into that as well so we've written things around building your own PC but also streaming capturing game footage all sorts of things that were useful hopefully to people that are looking to do that um right luke if you're a beginner um and you want to get into pc gaming you maybe you, you've been playing on a playstation or an xbox all this time but you're actually more interested in the pc side of things should you consider a desktop or a laptop gaming device um i think there's advantages to both um I normally push people towards getting a desktop simply because when it gets outdated, you can just upgrade individual components. Um, so yeah, if you need more storage, you can just chuck some more storage in. Whereas in a laptop, that's a, sometimes quite a difficult task to get that to work. But on the other hand, a laptop is more portable, obviously, um, and you don't have to buy a bunch of peripherals to get it to work you don't need to buy a screen and a keyboard and a mouse and everything it's all built in to one simple device although you probably still want a mouse to be honest um yeah so it depends on the individual um but desktops give the most flexibility i've also noticed adrian that um gaming laptops are becoming thinner and thinner of late um they've become 
so that you can actually double them up. You don't have to just game on them. You can use them just as a normal computer when you're on your travels. But does does the um, correlation between um, how thin they are and their gaming prowess, is there a diversity, a, a, a dichotomy there? I think that historically there has been an issue with them being thinner where they run hotter so they end up thermal throttling which then reduces the performance but Nvidia has been working on battery boost technology and uh, a whisper mode and various other technologies that it, it, you know, account for those sorts of things and keep it cooler and more effective and also the companies that produce them so i know Zeus, for example on the laptops i've seen over the last couple of years have worked to improve the thermal performance of their laptops so they're not actually as hot and they run a bit better and a bit more effectively and um, intel's working on producing a number of things that let the cpu and gpu cross talk a bit more and so improve performance there as well so i think they are getting better i still think you get better performance out of a desktop machine because it has better airflow and can naturally have bigger components in terms of the graphics card and things but yeah they're, yeah i think they're getting there i know you build your own machines um would you advise someone starting out to actually consider building their own pc or should they really be looking to get one off the shelf historically i think it was cheaper to build them yourself I don't think that's necessarily the same anymore. You can get a lot of pre-built systems, which are obviously easier to just purchase off the shelf. But there is a lot to be said for building it yourself. It's a lot of fun. It's very rewarding and satisfying to come up with that when you finish with it at the end. And obviously you can select the parts in a bit more of a granular way, choosing what you want to go in there and how you're going to put it together. And obviously we have some comprehensive guides on how to do it, so it's not that intimidating once you start looking for advice on it. And I think it's, I saw a thing online saying, how do you do this? How do you build a PC? And it was just referencing, you know, putting Lego together or <laughs> something like that when you're a kid. It's actually a lot easier than you think it is because a lot of the parts are designed so that you can't put them in the wrong way around. And it's just, it's quite simple, really. Um, Luke, um, what do I need to look for if I was cho to, when choosing accessories to go with the PC, whether it be a laptop or a desktop? Obviously, accessories are a big deal in the uh, PC gaming field. I think the answer to that depends a lot on the type of games that you want to play. Um, so, for example, people who are really into um, competitive shooting games tend to like really lightweight mice, and there's loads of mice on the market that have hollowed out sections to keep the weight as low as possible so you can flick it around as fast as possible. Whereas people who are more interested in uh, games like World of Warcraft will want loads of programmable macro keys on everything. So um, you'll find keyboards and mice that have a bunch of programmable buttons that can do essentially whatever you want. Um, and those buttons could be useful for streamers as well. So if you want to stream your gameplay, it's the more buttons, the better, really. Whereas um, people are purely interested in like Overwatch and CSGO don't need that many buttons. They just want the highest performing, simple device they can get, really. All right. I think my final question is back to Adrian. Is a uh, what? What should if I'm if I'm a complete novice and I'm about to get into it? What should my minimum budget be? Oh well, that's a tough one, isn't it? <laughs> that's a tough question. 
you know, I don't think I've budgeted a rig for a while, but someone asked me the other day and showed one they put together. So there's a there's a website called PC Part Picker, which is really handy for selecting all the parts that you want and how to put whether they'll fit together or not. It's really straightforward. So you just select, let's say, the CPU that you want, and then it will recommend the compatible motherboards and all the other bits that go with it. So you can't buy the wrong parts. And I think theirs came out to about just under £2,000 which is actually really reasonable for current modern PC gaming machine. And I think that would probably serve them well. And if you want top end, you, you could end up spending a lot more than that, significantly more. I think you're probably looking about two or 3,000 if you want something that's going to last. And that's obviously quite a big investment. But, you know, like Luke said, they're easy to upgrade over time. So you can pick and choose, maybe start with less RAM and upgrade that in future or just one nvme ssd for example and then add more storage in later on so you can sort of have a reasonable budget and then add to it in future rather than splashing it all out in the beginning so i was just gonna say when i when i built my first pc um i couldn't afford a graphics card at the time i think you've written something about this recently adrian but um so i just built a system with no graphics card and it could run some games very low spec games but then, you know, six months later or whatever, when I could afford a graphics card, I just popped it in and carried on but playing games at a higher spec and having more fun. I feel a lot happier, no doubt, as well. <laughs> later in the show, Adrian and Luke will return to talk more about the PC games themselves and will reveal their favourites. But before then, I recently got the chance to speak with NVIDIA GeForce product manager Seth Schneider, who is also an accomplished esports player, about the different technologies that are increasingly improving gameplay experiences and competitive gameplay in the PC field. I started by asking him to explain why higher frame rates are so important to gamers. If we look at the gaming experience, we can really break it up into two different you know, experiential pieces in gaming. There, there is smoothness uh, and there is responsiveness. And frame rate has really enabled both over the history of gaming. A higher FPS experience gives you that level of smoothness that makes the motion within the game extremely fluid. Uh, and it also brings a level of responsiveness that makes your inputs uh, turn into pixels on screen in a timely manner, giving you that immersion, and that feeling of, of being really connected to your game. So the higher the FPS, really the better. Uh, the more immersion, the more connected, the more responsive, the smoother the game's going to be. So it's extremely important for gamers. I mean, we've seen actually in recent times that this has become more and more important, um, mainly because the technology is catching up and developers are being able to use it. Um, can you explain any of the uh, the more recent developments that have really helped attain much higher frame rates? I mean, we're talking about even above 120 FPS. Yeah, there's a, uh, there's a number of ways to get higher FPS. Um, you know, there's, there's software techniques. There's obviously faster hardware. Um, you know, our latest line of GPUs uh, enables extremely high frame rates you know i'm an esports uh competitive gamer and so you know we're targeting frame rates up now above 360 fps where uh, in valorant we're rendering frames in you know fractions of a millisecond 
which is pretty cool. And then on the other side of the house, um, even with ray traced content, we're able to render extremely high frame rates with technologies like uh, DLSS or deep learning super sampling. It's a, it's a super resolution technology that uses AI to effectively up-res your, uh, your images in order to give you a rendering rate at a, at a lower resolution, giving you much higher frame rate um, than what's ever been possible before. So it's a, it's a, it's a really great technology. Uh, we're leaning into it, giving you, you know, basically free FPS, so more smoothness, more responsiveness at ISO quality, or even sometimes at better quality. I mean, that's cool. the other thing is, um, as an esports player, you'd appreciate uh, and probably be able to um, uh, answer this better. Is there seems to have been a trade-off in the past between resolution and frame rate. Um, would you say that you would prefer a higher frame rate or resolution, or do you think technologies such as DLSS are helping to achieve something of a, a good, happy medium? You know, I think, especially in the games I play, I, I think you can get both these days. Um, you know, it's, I think that trade-off used to be more in the past, um, to be honest. Like, I, uh, I play esports on 1440p now, um, to be honest. Uh, with you know the ref the refresh rates have gotten high enough, and at this point GPUs are powerful enough to hit those you know 360 FPS in top esports games, even at even at resolutions like 1440p. Um, and to be honest, I'd go to 4K if uh, if the refresh rates were higher. Um, and so you know, and technologies like DLSS are making that trade off basically a no brainer as well. Um, and so you know, wh while uh, you know, with less GPU power, I think there is certainly a trade-off, and I think that's why we see most players go towards 1080p in order to get the FPS first. But now with the GPU power power that's available to gamers and the technologies like DLSS and and Reflex that we have, um, going higher resolution isn't isn't really a trade-off anymore. It, it's it makes a sharper image, and we can obtain the frame rates that are that are high enough to power our competitive experiences. I think it's it's kind of a no-brainer. Do you think non-pro PC gamers and and sort of like less those less um, involved in competition um, also can reap the benefits absolutely um you know we actually just did a really <clears throat> interesting latency study which you know is one of the benefits of, of higher fps is, is lower latency uh with our partnership with kovacs aim trainer are you familiar with kovacs aim trainer yeah yeah so within kovacs we did something called the uh, system latency challenge but really what it was was uh, a big research study where we built some technology that could manage the amount of latency uh, per experiment and we, we put people through three different experiments at 25 milliseconds 55 milliseconds 85 milliseconds and saw how they performed uh, you know with their aiming performance at each of those levels and what's interesting is that it turned out that the uh, players that scored in the bottom 25th percentile of the score, so you know you could say the less skilled players, actually had a bigger improvement going from high latency to low latency than even the top players did. And if you think about it, it makes a lot of sense because uh, really highly skilled players have practiced a long time. They have muscle memory. They they know how to how to do a flick and basically what it feels like on their mouse pad but for less experienced or less skilled players they use their sensory inputs their eyes you know the where the cursor is in relationship to the target to to really be able to aim 
And that lower latency is going to help them be able to make that immediate connection and not have to rely on all that training in the past. And so what we're finding is that, uh, you know, higher frame rate and lower latency probably actually matters more for non-pros than, than actually pros. So it's, it's a pretty cool phenomenon. Um, speaking of latency, um, NVIDIA has a technology called Reflex. Um, how does that work to keep latency down to a minimum? Yeah. Um, you know, Reflex is a um, very interesting piece of technology. It's been it's been my life for the last couple of years, um, which has been which has been great as an esports guy. How it works is we basically line up all of the work that happens within the game and the game submission of work to the GPU uh, to happen just in time. So not only are we allowing the CPU to basically submit render calls to the GPU just in time for the GPU to be able to render it, that way it's basically not waiting in a line or a queue, uh, but we also help uh, organize the CPU side such that the simulation is handing off to render submission and the render submission is handing off to the driver all is basically as fluidly as possible without any gaps or stalls. Um, this is why we need a game integration, and this is why it does <clears throat> so much better than uh, a lot of the driver-only solutions. Like we have a driver-only solution called the ultra-low ultra latency mode in the driver, and we can reduce the GPU queue. However, with Reflex, we're able to reduce latency on the CPU side, within the game, within the driver, and of course, the submission to the GPU in the render queue. So it's it's pretty cool. We basically take all the slop out of the pipeline and we're able to see some pretty great latency improvements. Oftentimes in really heavily GPU bound situations, sometimes we'll see latency get cut in half. Um, for software optimization, that's pretty awesome. What type of games benefit best out of having higher frame rates? <clears throat> yeah, basically, um, with higher frame rates and lower latency, it, kind of the way I think about it is any game that relies on the user to be responsive or the gamer to be responsive, think a, a platform or a fighting game, uh, or obviously a first-person shooter or a racing game, those are games that are going to benefit more. Um, you know, a, a tabletop game or like, you know, Civilization, obviously frame rate and latency aren't as important. You know, in Hearthstone, I don't necessarily need 10 milliseconds <laughs> of latency to put a card down. But, you know, if I'm driving in F1 or if, uh, you know, I'm playing Counter-Strike or, uh, you know, I'm, I'm doing a platformer, I want to make sure my jump timings are great. Or even games, you know, like Elden Ring, it's, it's great if I can roll dodge, right? I don't need to get, you know, slammed by Margaret a number of times. That's, that's a bummer. Um, and so it's it's really higher FPS and, and lower latency are going to matter uh, in any game that really requires uh, a lot of quick interactions or really any interactivity. Um, Helps with the immersion. One thing that I've always considered about PC gaming in comparison, say, to console is that uh, one person's rig will be completely different to somebody else's. Mm -hmm. Um is there a massive disparity between um, somebody having a, a, a very high-end PC playing against somebody with a, a more entry-level? Yes and no. You know, it's think think about it like uh, like driving. Um, you can take, you know, you can take uh, the best driver in the world and put them inside of a you know a Toyota Camry, and they'll probably beat 
an average driver, even if they're driving a Formula One car. Um, there's still a lot of, um, you know, your your player skill still really determines uh, how well you're going to do in these competitive games. You know, you see people go out there with, you know, 60 FPS in competitive games and absolutely slay it because they're extremely talented. Now, going back to that analogy, if you put that same professional driver in a Formula One car, hey, they're going to be going a <laughs> lot faster than what they were doing, even though they could beat you in either car. Um, and so it's you, you can kind of think of it like that. It's <clears throat> player skills. Obviously, your capabilities are, are what's going <clears> to <throat> be the most important factor. However, with a better rig, it's going to it's going to unlock your capabilities. You're not going to be handicapped. And so um, if the player skill is equal, then, of course, the person with the better rig is going to have an advantage. Uh, but but player skill absolutely still matters. Hopefully um, that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. It certainly does. Um, I also remember being at a launch event for the uh, first RTX cards. Um, and ray tracing was very first touted. It took a while to start to get into gaming. And we're now seeing developers being able to um, appreciate and add ray tracing in a way where the NVIDIA really envisaged to begin with. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think for a number of reasons. Um, a... You know they have they have a bit of experience with it now, and so we're kind of we're starting to see ray tracing. It, it's less of an add-in feature and more of just that's part of the ultra quality settings. Um, you know, pretty much any AAA game that's coming out now is is looking at ray tracing being part of what makes the settings the best settings they can be. And and technologies like DLSS are um, making ray tracing accessible for for more for more users because of the perf they can um you know get get a good 60 frames per second so developers are more likely to go out uh and implement ray tracing features additionally there's a lot more hardware out in the market that support you know DirectX ray tracing and with that developers go it's a worthwhile thing to do and really it's this is just the natural progression um it's like when programmable shaders happened uh a number of years, you know a long time ago now um, but there was kind of this uh, switch from fixed function to, to programmable shaders. This is the same uh, thing that's happening with DirectX ray tracing. This is just the next evolution in, in computer graphics. It's, it's, it's a huge leap. Um, but, you know, we're, we're, we're seeing it move towards there. And, you know, I think the next step is, is fully path traced, too. So I'm excited for that. Wow. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I think we're just we're just on the we're just on the cusp of of greatness here, I think. And finally, for those just getting into PC gaming, what's the most important thing to look for in a graphics card and monitor? Oh, that's a great question. Um, there's there's many things to consider when looking for a graphics card today. Um, I would definitely look deeper than, you know, what is the FPS it can do in a, in a 3D benchmark. Um really when you're buying into a graphics card and a monitor today you're buying into a platform you're buying into what is the driver quality what is the software capabilities that can offer you what is the guarantee that when i download a game day zero that my features are supported that i can go and have that best experience out of the box so when you're looking at buying buying a gpu and a monitor um you want to make sure that how you want to play is going to be supported and you're not going to be limited. 
And so um, I would definitely encourage encourage folks to, you know, not just look at the FPS score, even though that's an incredibly important part of, of GPU, but look at it as an a holistic platform and, and buy into buy into that piece of it. I think it's incredibly important. Now back to Pocket Lint Zone, Adrian and Luke, as we turn our attention to the games themselves. After all, a PC gaming rig is only as good as the game. So with that in mind, what are the best games people can buy right now and what will give their PC a decent workout? Luke, let's start with your choice. What's your favourite PC game for running on your your, uh, machine right now? Um, It's a bit of a classic now, but it's got to be GTA V, I think. It's like stood the test of time and only got better and better um, as GTA Online has evolved into almost a completely different game than it was when it released however long ago that was. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's one of the first games I always boot up because you can really uh, test the performance of a machine with that. And uh, it's fun. And Adrian, what are you playing right now? And what 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 gives your rig? I mean, you've got a super rig anyway, so <laughs> munches through anything. But yeah, well, I, well, funnily enough, a segue into I just wrote yesterday an article about the best PC games of ray tracing to try out. So there's a few in there that are worth doing if you've not tried them already. And that's obviously Cyberpunk 2077, Dying Light 2 was a solid favorite of mine for a while. Red Dead Redemption looks incredible, especially on the super ultra-wide monitor that I'm playing on. So I've been really getting into that. And God of War also got re-released and on PC with that upgrade for ultra-wide as well, so that looks great. How does God of War actually run um, on, on a, on a higher-end PC? I mean, it's, it works... Obviously, it came out on the PlayStation 4, so, um, so the PS5 does actually run it at a higher frame rate than its original release so how does the pc version compare yeah it's been upgraded now it supports 21 by 9 widescreen but also up to 8k in the graphics i've been running on super ultra wide which you can do with a workaround which is 32 by 9 so that's really it looks really good actually very nice looking game and obviously graphic overhaul for a game that's a little bit older yeah, definitely. I mean, Sony's been releasing quite a few games of late. Death Stranding came out, didn't it? Um, and uh, the Uncharted, Uncharted yeah. yeah, the Uncharted trilogy. So, um, so Sony is properly uh, that in in a way that's an analogy to PC gaming for me. Is that um, traditionally console only manuf- uh, publishers and studios are now looking at it as a serious proposition. Um, so any other games Luke any other games that you would recommend and why Um, I think I've talked about it a little bit before but um, I think one of the things that you can't get on a console but you can with PC is the kind of esports competitive experience with um, titles like CSGO and Valorant where it's pure keyboard and mouse uh, shooter action which is so much more fast-paced and intense than it is on a console. Um, so I think if people are coming from console and they want to try something completely different, that's one of the good places to start, in my opinion. And the joyful thing about PC gaming as well is you get the early access games on Steam, so games that don't make it to console or sort of 
where PC becomes the beta test area for them. So I've been playing a game called Ready or Not, which is a five-person tactical police shooter. So you have to go into various locations and rescue hostages and do bomb disposal and things like that. And it's great fun. It's really intense and it's great looking. But people keep asking, is this on console? And it just isn't at the moment. But there is a chance in future that when it becomes a full release and gets more updates, that it will eventually make it to console. And then obviously people will be happy about that. But seen quite a few of those sorts of games over the last couple of years. Of course, PC games or PC gaming rig um, is synonymous with strategy games as well, which is something that always struggle when they make that translate uh, transition to console, mainly because um, a decent civilization or something of that ilk needs a lot of keys and, and it's very difficult to navigate the screen on a full-fledged simulation game on a console. Um, do you have any personal preferences in in that kind of genre? <laughs> it's not um, it's not a massive genre that I'm into, to be honest. But I, a lot of my friends are a lot of my friends are horrendously addicted to Factorio, um, which is like a massive factory building game that looks very complicated. And um, Crusader Kings, they're always on as well. Um, but for me, yeah, it's a bit much. <laughs> Sadly, it's uh, it's probably my my genre most of all, in the fact that um, the first game I always go to when uh, booting up my laptop is Football Manager. <laughs> Almost every single time, just I, I love the whole idea of just wading through complicated spreadsheets on a daily basis in terms of entertainment. <laughs> um, but that's uh, that's one thing. Um, now we're going to turn to future games games that aren't released yet and ask you about games that you might be looking forward to and you might have on your wish lists. So Adrian, is there any PC game you've got your eye on that might be coming up in the, for the rest of 2022 or beyond? Well, we've got a whole list. <laughs> There's a whole article on this with all of them in. But I mean, I'm particularly excited for Sniper Elite, the next Sniper Elite game. I think that's going to be a great one. I'm looking forward to shooting Hitler again. So that's always going to be a good bit of fun. And then Skull and Bones, it, it recently looks like that's got some leaks online and should be on the horizon finally, so pretty into that. I think that's going to be good as well. But Saints Row is the other one I'm waiting for, which isn't until August, it looks like, at the moment. So, But I've had a lot of fun playing co-op with my friends on previous Saints Row games, so I'm really looking forward to the stupid action in that one. Luke, any games that you've got your eye on in the future? Um, one that I'm absolutely desperate to leave early access kind of going back to what adrian says uh before about early access titles on steam uh Baldur's gate 3 which has been in early access since i think autumn 2020 or something and i don't even think it's going to come out fully this year but i've been i played a little bit and it felt very unfinished and i've been holding off until the full game's finished so i can play it properly um, yeah, very desperate for that to actually release. <laughs> so yeah. that's my big one. I agree with you. Actually, I've been playing it on Stadia, and the problem the problem with the uh, the early access build is that they keep patching it and destroying your save games. Yeah. So uh, so I stopped. I actually stopped playing it because I thought I, what I don't want is to get to a certain, so far into it and then find out I can't progress at all and have to start again. So I thought I'll wait until they actually finish the game. 
Um, but yes, very much looking forward to that one as well. Um, so I think the uh, we'll end, but we'll end with um, a final tip on what people uh, should be considering when it comes to PC gaming, and this time um, about the digital purchasing platforms. That can be a little bit confusing, so I'll leave it to Adrian to try and explain why there are multiple digital purchasing platforms. Oh, um, yeah, why? <laughs> why? <laughs> and uh, and whether or not they can all coexist. Oh, that's a tough question, isn't it? Well, actually, one of the good solutions to that is uh, the Gold Galaxy browser, which lets you have all your games in one place which i've also written a story on but i mean my personal preference is steam but obviously you also have origin and ubisoft connect and other places but i think uh xbox game pass or the pc game pass is actually making life a lot better now isn't it because everything's sort of lumped into there you can get ea play there's rumors that the ubisoft plus might be coming into it as well so you could have all your games in one place for a small fee each month which will make life a lot easier rather than having to keep track of all these places to buy your games or where your games library is but obviously epic's doing good work with having free games on a regular basis so you don't have to spend a lot of money to play pc games you can just get one for free on the epic store on a regular basis so that's a bonus i just wish steam would do some sort of subscription based service actually prime gaming as well is another good place for free PC games yeah. on a monthly basis. Free as long as you're paying for Prime. Yeah, but you get all the other benefits <laughs> anyway. I mean, I doubt anybody pays just for Prime, just for Prime gaming. A, you know. Indeed, yeah. No, it's a good. Yeah. That is a good deal, and the extra loot drops and things you get out of there. It's fairly unique to the PC platform, isn't it? Having all of these marketplaces, whereas obviously consoles are very centralized, and then. Android as well, mostly through the Play Store, and obviously iOS has the App Store, but PC's got more than you can count. So it's, um, I suppose it's good for the consumer in that there's some competitiveness on price rather than all being in one marketplace. But it is a pain to keep track of your games unless you use something like GOG Galaxy, like you mentioned. Um, yeah. Uh that said, at least you don't have to trudge down to curries in the rain like you used to have to do <laughs> in the 80s and early 90s. So, uh, the so yeah. And, boxes. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Uh, I, I, I'm thinking on that. I was thinking of some of the Sierra Adventure games um, that came on, on, you know, five, six, seven, even ten discs. <laughs> I mean, just crazy business back in those days. So, um, so lap it up, folks. You've never had it so good. And on that, I think that's it for this special edition of the Pocket Limp podcast, celebrating PC Gaming Week in association with NVIDIA GeForce RTX. I've been Rick Henderson, and hopefully you'll join us again next week for another episode. Until then, toodle pip. <laughs>